This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. Hey man, this is this is a crazy ass book. Love and rocket. What the hell is going on? Nerdy Legion. Secret Knowledge Society. Welcome, everybody, with the most difficult episode of Comics in Black and White to record thus far. This is my fourth attempt to record it, and I've had to uh, to change up who I was recording with. Uh, and with me today is Jay Loving, who uh, has had one prior uh, brief moment of glory on Nerdy Legion podcast when he guest starred on uh, the Aftershock Central podcast back uh, around when it started. So... Welcome back to podcasting, Jay. I'm uh, I'm glad to have you join me, so I don't have to sit out in the cold longer, waiting for other people to join me. Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad to be here. I thought I'd gotten a lifetime ban from Nerdy Legion after that uh, aftershock podcast. Uh, <laughs> although I, you know, I, I I do feel like you know you know I come the second string here, so I know people <laughs> are going to be deeply disappointed who are tuning in to hear Justin right now. But uh, yeah, well. They can deal with it because uh, Justin is uh, still recording his his podcast. So I mean, it you know when I guess I, I don't know what they're recording about right now. I haven't listened to the whole first episode. Justin started doing the Collecting Valiant podcast for those listening um, with Dewan and uh, and James Carlson. Is that right? Yes. Uh, James. Yes, I know you very well, so I didn't forget that at all. Um, Yes, yeah, so they're recording that right now. The first episode, I listened to like maybe a third of it so far. Uh, I was at work when I was listening to it on a break, and uh, very good. So I'm excited to see. I mean, if they're going on, this, you know, way over what they planned on going because the conversation's that good, you know, all the better for them. So anybody who's into comic book collecting uh, on the more serious side, uh, or if you're a Valiant fan or a little bit of both, definitely check out that podcast. We just had the first episode come out. I don't know if it has its. I don't think it has its own feed yet, but it'll be on the Nerdy Legion feed. I'm pretty sure until it gets its own feed on iTunes and whatnot. Um, yeah, so we are here because you wanted me to record a podcast so badly about Love and Rockets that you sent me the book Love and Rockets. Then you were so excited about it, you sent me the second volume of Love and Rockets before I even started reading the first one. Uh, so what? My to get us started. What makes you love Love and Rockets? How did you discover this and get into this? Well, I, mean, I, I sent those to you because I'm, above all, I'm, I'm, I'm an apologist for Love and Rockets. It's, I, whatever I can do to try to bring someone else you know, into it, I, I take that opportunity. Well, for me, it was a long time ago. While I was in college, I was in college from 81 to 85. And uh, Love and Rockets, they started publishing in 81 and then it, uh, then re they self-published the first one or two issues, and then Fantagraphics picked them up as a publisher and reissued that. So, but I found it in college. You know, it was like one day I was at the student union of the university where I was attending, and saw four or five guys sitting around a table hunched over this comic book, and I was curious, and I went up and talked to them, and it it was a Love and Rockets book. Somebody loaned me one of the copies they had, and it was. To that time, you know, all I'd been reading was uh, you know, Batman, which I've been reading since age 11, and you know, a lot of the DC, Marvel, the superhero type. 
it, I was just astounded by what I read. It was like un, unlike anything I'd ever seen in comics before. You know, it's like this is a this is character driven story. It's not really based all that much on plot. And I was I was taken aback by what a comic book could be because this was unlike anything I'd ever encountered before. So that's briefly my introduction to it. Yeah, so that's. I, you know, I think that what you just said touched on what I found intriguing about it, definitely. Um, so, like, like you said, you started reading it when it came out. So, for me, uh, I was born two years after it came out, started coming out, <laughs> so, <laughs> right in the middle of your college career. Um, so, I was a little young then to be reading it. Uh, but So, for me, I'm obviously going back. I don't have the context of when it was coming out or what comics were like at that time. Uh, so, for me reading this, like, you know, the first thing is it feels less um, oh, original is not the right word. It's a very original comic, but there's been a lot of other stuff that is, you know, in this kind of vein. But this was one of the early things. I mean, this is the whole reason I wanted to do this podcast was this was a time when people started making comics because they wanted to make them how they wanted to make them self publishing them, you know, just doing them in black and white because that's how you could afford to do it, you know, probably just photocopying it and, and stuff like that, even, you know, for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I mean, so for me, there's like no real context with this. So I start reading it and I mean, it starts out too, and it's really out there because of all the, the sci-fi elements that aren't set up at all. So it's, you know, like I don't really, you know, you, you jump into this, if you don't know what you're getting into, you just are like, well, this is weird. This doesn't feel like it's a sci-fi story, but they're talking about pro-solar mechanics, and she's riding around on a hover scooter and uh, and stuff like that. Um, and as it goes on, I guess those elements don't completely go away, but they definitely step out of the focus, and the focus, like you said, is really on the character. Like, I don't see how you could read this first volume and not just love the character of Maggie by the end of it. Right. You know, definitely Maggie is, you know, really the central character all through Jaime's uh, uh, telling of the story. You know, what a lot of people don't know and have to keep in mind is that there's really, well, there's really three Hernandez brothers, Mario, Gilbert, and Jaime. Most of the stories are written by Gilbert and Jaime, certainly for the first issue, first, first volume of Love and Rockets, which is the original 50 issues. It was published between 81 and 92, I think. And they're completely different stories. Uh, Jaime tells the story of Maggie and Hopi, uh, the Locas, and their life and their friendships around this little small southern uh, California town that they live in. The Hernandez brothers grew up. Uh, in Oxnard, California. So, and they were big into the punk scene, the Southern California punk scene of the '80s, and that really kind of in, influences Jaime's writing of it. Awesome, yeah. I'm, I, I haven't read any of Gilbert's yet. Uh, I have four of the five volumes of Jaime's work already purchased. Well, you sent me two, and then I purchased two of them when I stumbled across mm -hmm. them. Um, I haven't bought any of Gilbert's yet, uh, just because. I mean, like, I, I suppose I could order them at any time, but. Um, on my other podcast, you've heard me mention Bull Moose Music. They are right. uh, music, movie, they got books. They sell all their books at 35% off, so that means that if you go and get a you know trade or a hardcover or whatever, it's 35% off to start with. 
and you find it used and you get a real good deal. But uh, so, anyways, I you know this isn't the kind of thing that is heavily in stock all over the place. They're not primarily a comic book store or anything either. So I went in one day looking for uh, well, uh, Ross, who's uh, one of the other few Mainers that uh, that I know. I've never met him in person, ironically, even though he's actually been to my Starbucks. I just happened to be off that day. Um, but he tweeted me that they had a copy of Rachel Rising, the hardcover omnibus, and they're for $4. So I happened to be nice. down in Portland for a meeting, so I rushed over to get that because I knew that was too good of a deal. And then I looked around. They had two more volumes of, uh, of Love and Rockets. So I grabbed those. And then recently I saw one of Gilbert's volumes, but I just – I knew it was going to be a while before I could really get to reading it. Uh, and so I, I held off on it for now. But I'm really – I mean, especially talking to you and – his uh, similarities in style, it being the uh, how did we describe it? The the magical realism elements and stuff like that, kind of like uh, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. But a uh, hundred years of solitude, probably my favorite book, and I love how it has the just the mixture of this is kind of what's really going on, but then these things that are just presented as real life, but they're magical and they're absurd and time doesn't always really make sense and those kind of things. So I'm really looking forward to getting to his stuff also. Um, So like you said, this is a very character story. So this volume is definitely heavily about Maggie. Aside from that, you have Hopi, who she's the the other main character, I guess you'd say, although there are a few others that are, have bigger parts. Uh, I didn't really feel like Hopi had, I mean, she was, a strong presence in this book, but it never really seemed to focus on her that much. Uh, does that kind of change throughout his work? Does it focus more on different characters at different times? It does. It it goes back. You get a, eventually. You get a pretty good understanding of both Hopi and uh, Maggie, as well as you know a couple of other characters that appear minor, especially in the first volume. Izzy, uh, Penny Century is another one. Another one of their friends that is part of this scene. And, Eventually, you know, it goes around and it, it touches on all of those characters, and it's just it goes through their lives. And what's, what's interesting about the way Jaime has done this is he's written about these characters from the '80s, short hiatus into the '90s. He's aged the characters so that um, you know they recently started back last year released. The first issue of the new Love and Rockets magazine is coming out. They say quarterly, but it's probably going to be about every anywhere from three to six months. And now these characters, Maggie and Hopi, are close to their fifties. You know, they've aged as he's aged, and um, time has gone on. So it, it really tells the story of their lives and, and their relationships. And of course, they have an off again, on again relationship with each other romantic relationship and then but then they go out and have you know relationships with other people men women it, it's, it's really a complex story over time yeah there's definitely a lot of complexity this volume primarily focuses on uh kind of two bigger stories and one is where you're gonna have to help me with the names of these places but the, the first story where she goes away with rand race to work uh in some you know, obscure location where they're they're away from everything. Uh, the one that's presented like in letter format. Uh, do, you, right. do you recall the name mechanics. of the place they're at? Yeah, uh, mechanics is the name of the story. I'm trying to think for the second. What I should do is stop being a dumbass and go to the table of contents. 
yeah, mechanics, and then later on, um, oh gosh, what is the second story? Yeah, they have that one, and then they have the one where they go to uh, El Rio Frio, if I remember right. Right. Um, and that's another, you know, kind of bigger, longer story. And I really like that that one focused on the uh, the lady wrestler, who is a great character, Rena. Um, right. I, I think beyond uh, Maggie and Hopi, I think Penny Sentry and Rena are the two characters that get a lot more developed in this volume than any other ones. Uh, I, I liked the second story with Rena better than the, the first story that was presented in the letter format. Because just starting this off and having very little, and then all of a sudden you're reading this really, really dense, wordy writing telling you what's going on, it got it made it hard to get into the book because you know you have this kind of flow starting to build up a little bit, and then it gets so dense that I, I slowed down really bad at that point. Once I got past that part and then got my rhythm back, I flew through the rest of it. I mean, obviously they weren't really planning on it coming out in, uh, in a trade paperback when they were writing this. Um, that section that's written as like letters, do you recall if that is before Fantagraphics or after Fantagraphics picked them up? I think it was after. I, best I remember, they published one, maybe two issues self-published before Fantagraphics picked them up. So they got they got with them early on. I don't know the like, specific you know timing of it. Or it escapes me for the moment. Yeah, we might have to, I, I, you know, as I go on and read more volumes, we'll probably, between you, me, and Justin, try to talk about this some more in future episodes, too. And uh, just knowing Justin, I have an inkling that he may be one of those people that has a little more nitty-gritty details on it. Um, Fantagraphics is an interesting publisher. They're a publisher, I was just talking to Martin about this, I didn't know they existed until, I think until I started getting into Usagi, which wasn't very long ago. And I was I picked up the first Dark Horse Omnibus of Usagi Yojimbo, and Martin was the one that said, no, that's not the first thing. And because he, he just picked up the trade paperback number one off of Amazon. So that's when we realized that there were seven vol, um, trade paperback volumes of Usagi that Fantagraphics did. So that was the right. first time that I even heard of them. So I checked that out. I kind of got acquainted with it. Um but then seeing the different stuff that they've published, and it's really cool to see a publisher like that, that they've been around for so long, but they're not, you know, they're not trying to get out there and compete with Marvel and DC or anything. They're just publishing some really high quality creative stuff. I mean, for all I know, they could publish some crap too. I don't really know, but um, they're an interesting publisher to me. Yeah, I don't know all of what they, I think they also publish books that are not comics are not typical type comics so i've not mm -hmm. really done looked at them too much but uh yeah they are they're very unique and you know they, they publish stuff that you don't see you would not see anywhere else yeah and what an I, I just keep flipping back and forth through the book and kind of remembering a lot of these stories and how much it jumped around and this really was a fun read this is something that i think i could reread and would kind of lose like i'd forget what was coming next but when i got to it i'd be like oh yeah this part's great and, you know kind of relive it that way um so i i know you had said before that you you had some questions for for me having read this for the first time you were really eager to see what i thought about it do you have anything in particular well I, first of all i, I was uh, you never know with loving rockets because when i the people i've talked to that i've 
tried to introduce it to, I find there's not been a whole lot of middle ground. Either they really enjoy it or they just say, uh, <laughs> check, please. I, this is not for me. So, you know, when I sent that to you, I was completely, you know, un- unaware of how he said he's going to, he might like this. He may hate it. You know, he may you know, send it back to me with a letter bomb. I don't know. It just, you know, I didn't know what you, how you were going to. So the fact that you enjoyed it is, you know, interesting to me. I just, but, you know, other than that, it's, I guess the question is, you know, your reaction to the way that Jaime does this story, like I said, being more character driven and focusing on these, you know, specifically Maggie, but Hopi in there together and, you know, how they progress. Is, is it something that's, you know, held your attention? Because as I say, it's not, it's not typical comic as far as being heavily action driven, although there is action in it. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm, like I said, I was flipping back and forth through, and now I'm flipping through slowly, kind of seeing what I come across. And man, this is this is a crazy ass book. It it shifts gears so much, um, and you don't even. It's like it keeps shifting gears, so you just kind of get used to that. And but the stories are just so cool, and the way that they develop these characters. Um, I'm just gonna start kind of slowly flipping through from the beginning. So I mean, you get that first story with Maggie where. Uh, She's writing the letters, um, but even through that, it's like okay, cra- you know, they're in this like crazy location. There's dinosaurs there, um, you know. They're they're kind of slowly going crazy because it's just a weird place, and they're being paid money to be there, but there's no real point in them being there, and they already know that. Then all of a sudden, Penny Century shows up uh, and tells her crazy story of how she gets there. And at this point, like you kind of hardly know who Penny Century is. So she presents this picture of just, I don't know, like at that point, she kind of seems like a crazy adventurer. I mean, she just stumbled into all these adventures. Um, but then when you get more Penny later, she's just basically the, the bimbo of some rich guy, but then the rich guy has horns. Uh, right. Um, right. So it's like, why why does he have horns? I mean, that's, you know, obviously there's symbolism there, but it's kind of odd uh, that it's, it's never addressed. I mean, that's one thing about going through all this is Jaime throws stuff in there and doesn't, it's weird stuff, but it's never addressed. It's never explained. There's never any context given to it. So you just kind of accept it, but you, ha- you know, it it's stuff that kind of, gives you a sense of things really quickly without having to explain it also. Like, you see a, a old guy with horns, and you're, you, you associate him with the devil right away, basically, and he's a rich guy and manipulative, and you kind of see what his intentions are and everything. And then the, the other rich guy you get later on has uh, two little girls that are like his pets, and it's really right. weird, and you don't know if it's sexual or not, so it just is uncomfortable feeling the whole time. Just really strange. So, I mean, it makes you feel really you know, negative about that guy right off the bat. So he's not necessarily a bad guy, but he's a rich guy who doesn't care anything about other people, really. I mean, he buys a, an island and just wants the people there to love him buying their home, basically. Uh, yeah, right. this, I really love what they did. I yeah. love the development of uh, of Rena through that arc. And it, 
it's that way really throughout at least everything I've read. They throw in these elements, you know, like the guy with the horns. I, yeah, you think of it, okay, a satanic or devil or satanic. One thing I don't know a lot about is Hispanic culture. And I know Hispanic culture is filled with a lot of mythology. And I don't know if this is, is he's representing some character out of, you know, Hispanic lore or not. If, if it is, it's lost on me. But, yeah, you're correct in the fact that it's, there's so much that just kind of comes out, uh, just comes out in, in, without any context. And I think, you know, I was saying earlier, there seems to be no middle ground the way people react to Love and Rockets. They either really enjoy it or they don't. And I think part of it is if you're not the kind of person, if you're the type of person who has to have everything explained, you need to know the context of everything, every character, every situation. You're going to have a hard time with this because you're just not going to get that. Mm-hmm. So much of it, you just kind of have to, you just got to hang on and ride. I tend to like that. I don't have to have everything understood to me. If I'm reading, if I read for 10, 15, 20 pages and I don't know what the hell is going on, it doesn't bother me. I can still get the good, the good story out of it. And so that's part of what I think appeals to me at least. So. I think what appeals to a lot of people. So. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Like, you definitely, to read this book, you just have to dive in and let go and go along with the flow and not worry about understanding what's going on. Uh, you definitely get enough understanding throughout it, but there's plenty of stuff that you just never really get a firm understanding of. Uh, this is a book that I would love to have an annotated version of this where they actually do annotate and give more explanation to things and why they did things and um, you know all that sort of stuff because yeah I mean like you said uh, there's just so many elements in the Hispanic culture in, in writing that I you know I, I've taken literature classes and I've been exposed to some I've read books like 100 Years of Solitude and been exposed to them um, but it's not like I am steeped in them to where I'm just you know I'm able to like pop them up off the top of my head without thinking about it um, so I, that's something that I this is a book that is just there's so much depth to it that it would be great to explore it again like watching a movie with the director commentary there's some movies that they'll have five commentary tracks and you can watch them all because there's just so much depth and you just want to hear more about it and there's other movies that the only way the commentary track is good is if they're making fun of stuff basically throughout the whole thing exactly yeah it's I, you know I think you got it correct in that in the way it, and it also kind of the way it's dense and the way you don't know it. I have people. I've had people before tell me, "Well, where do you start reading? Do you start? Should you read this sequentially?" And my thought is, you know, just pick up some. If read what you have, what you can find. If you can't find the first book, just start where reading anywhere because you're going to be lost anyway. So <laughs> it's really a book you can you can just pick up at any point and just. Because you're gonna, it's always gonna be confusing. Yes, it might help if you read it more in sequential order. And you know, I think kind of back to your point of you know how things seem to change r- rapidly in this book. You also have to keep in mind that those five trade volumes of just Jaime stories, and I think there's five of Gilbert's as well. Mm-hmm. That's condensing everything that was written over 50 issues. So. And that took place over, you know, 
over a dozen years. So being in that format, I think it kind of compresses things more than you would normally have gotten if you read it, say, one issue every month or so that, that it came out. Mm-hmm. It, it just seems to churn and, and go from one place to the next over, you know, very quickly. Yeah, like your your description of uh, when you first discovered it and you know people sitting around reading it, I could see discovering this in college and if you had one issue of it, reading it several times because there's so many little details in there. And I mean, if you like it, you would just – I could easily see reading it over and over. And if you got it in that slower pace and you were able to dwell on each issue more thoroughly, I mean, especially in a context like that, that's one thing that's so lost nowadays with uh, – with social media and making it so easy to, I mean, look at this. I know you, I've never met you. I may never meet you. You live in Texas. I live in Maine. Uh, you know, I mean, who knows the only way we're ever going to stumble into meeting each other is if we happen to go to a convention, uh, you know, that everybody is getting together at or something, you know, I mean, that's the only way that it's, right. it's likely, or, you know, if you come to Maine for a vacation, cause I sure was telling going to Texas for a vacation. Uh, <laughs> well, I wouldn't expect you to, yeah. I'd love to come to Maine, actually, sometime. Yeah, Maine's pretty great. Uh, my mom lived in Texas for a while, and I did go there to visit her once, and I don't need to go back. Um, it was very humid when I was there, let's just say that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just you know, thinking back to, to then, you know, in, in the early 80s, you didn't have Internet. I mean, Internet existed probably in some format that was unaccessible to anybody in real life. But it, you know, it's like internet wasn't even like it was when I was in high school and college where, you know, well you had it, but it wasn't the easiest thing to use. Now it's like, I'm talking to you on the internet. I'm actually, I have a video playing on my phone while we're talking. Uh, and you know, you can do so many things so easily. So it's, nobody just sits there and connects with people and, you know, you're able to go find somebody to connect to something specific with. So if I like, I mean, like, well, right now, if I like Love and Rockets, I can go out and find a couple people who like Love and Rockets to talk about it with. But back then, uh, if you you find people you can connect with, and then you share what you like with them, and you know, it, it creates a very different environment for it all. It's, yeah. it's just too bad nowadays that that just completely gets lost. I mean, it's really cool being able to meet people and make friends and stuff thanks to social media and do some of the things that we're doing that we never, like I never would have made a podcast if I didn't meet people that I have never met in person. But now not only that, but we've, you know, nerdy Legion, we've created a podcasting network with, I don't even know how many now we must be around 10, a dozen podcasts. Now uh, I got my cousin who lives here in Maine doing a podcast. Uh, and he started doing a second one with a friend of his here in Maine. Uh, so I, I, Triple the podcasters in Maine, just like that. Uh, yeah, it's just it's it's crazy the stuff that you can do, but it just it creates a very different pace to everything. And this is the kind of story that you have to slow down and just get lost in it instead of expecting it to get to the point quickly. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, and another thing about you talk about the eighties, the, the, the way the comic books were sold and distributed back then was still quite a bit different. You didn't have anything nearly like uh, a large amount of, you know, what are called either alternative comics, indie comics. Uh, it, 
back in the 60s and 70s, you had a lot of – well, the term that they used, I think, a lot back then was underground comics, which is a pretty accurate description because you couldn't get these things just anywhere. I mean, they, they weren't selling them in retail stores, and there weren't a whole lot of retail stores. Still, a lot of comics were bought off of spinner racks at newsstands and drugstores, and they certainly weren't going to carry a lot of this type of stuff. So you know, when you found these, it's almost like you found some kind of a – you know, holy grail. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, it's your part of some now secret knowledge society that, you know, not everybody's a, a privy to. It, uh, and like I said, you know, you read this and you think, wow, this, you know, this is not, uh, this is not the typical comics, that, at least I w- grew up with early in my life. So. Yeah, this is that, I mean, I think that this is what's good about talking to somebody who was getting this back when it was coming out is you can provide context to it that I would never – I mean I could I could read this thing ten times and I'd never be able to provide some of the context to it. Uh, it'll be interesting in the future when we talk about other volumes uh, and hopefully get Justin on talking too and get a, a second perspective with all that. Um, and then I could make fun of both of you guys for being so much older than I am, which will be fun. Um, <laughs> hey, I think uh, I'm literally the oldest guy on the Slack channel at 55. <laughs> I think that's. I'm think I'm I'm the grandfather of the Valiant Slack channel. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be that's somebody okay. on there who's somebody's definitely old. Somebody's. Uh, I don't know. It's gonna turn out Jack is 63 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's not. He may act like he's 63 sometimes. But he... Uh, yeah, he's funny. Um. Yeah, you know, one of the things leading into, well, reading this and then knowing I was going to do a podcast about it is I didn't know how easy this was going to be to talk about because this is just, I mean, how do you usually approach a book talking about the story, right? And this story is so hard to talk about because there are basically just a lot of little stories in this and they're all over the place. And it's, you know, it's dense and it's confusing. It's not really easy to say, well, we went from point A to point B. Um but the even the the techniques that he uses through this are so all over the place. He just does all sorts of different things. Um, I mean, it almost feels like as he's going through writing different issues that maybe he just saw a movie and so he has this movie in his head. So he's kind of twisting the genre a little bit different ways. Um, you get some feelings of like, uh, um, oh gosh, I had a word in my head for it but now i'm blanking but kind of like you know 50s 60s like i mean rand race he has the you know the slicked back hair and looks real right. kind of you know uh neat and trim and stuff like that but then you have all like the you know the the punkers and um you know izzy being like the goth chick um and right. you just you get a lot of different feels in this oh, this is one one story that really stood out one thing that's odd so Maggie's a pro solar mechanic, or a pro solar mechanic's assistant, because being a pro solar mechanic is a big deal. It's like being a celebrity mechanic. Um, right. It's one of those things that they just basically tell you, and you're like, okay, I gotta accept it. I uh, don't really know what or why, but that's you know what this world is like. Um, but so she, you know, there's two two big stories in the book that center around that, where she's going off on these crazy adventures. Uh, the rest of the time, she's, like, working at fast food places and stuff like that, and yeah. just, like, really seems like a kid, basically, and I mean, a, a, you know, young adult. Um, 
But then you get this story where she wants some boots and nobody will lend her 50 bucks. So Penny Century says, well, let's go ask Costigan for the 50 bucks. I'm sure he'll give it to you. Uh, and so she, she calls him, but he's a waste. But he says, go stay at this house of mine. And when I come home, we'll have a party. So they're staying in this huge mansion that there's so many rooms that they get lost in it. And Maggie stumbles across a room that has somebody stowing away in it, basically, waiting for Costigan to return so he can kill him. Uh, and Maggie, in the span of a few days, has a relationship with this guy. I mean, she's basically just, like, living in that room with him. Um, and then Costigan comes home. They have the party. That guy's going to assassinate Costigan. Somebody else ends up trying to assassinate Costigan. Uh, just a really strange story, but it's just like suddenly they're, you know, away from all the sci-fi, crazy adventure, pro-solar mechanic stuff, and but they're they're on this other just like crazy trip of a story in this mansion with a guy hiding in a room, and then they chase him off with a shotgun. Yeah, yeah, it's a wild story, and it, it but it, I think it's indicative of you know. Kind of like I say the way because he, he employs so many different storytelling elements, and I, you know one of the things about this book again I think some people have a problem with is it, it's it's not written certainly not like comics today with story arcs. Yes, there are stories, you know, like you know Maggie going to that village of Zato in Africa to work on that uh, rocket, sh you know, alien ship that they found in in. But it's not a typical story arc where you have – seem like, okay, there's some triggering event that causes us to have to go off and do this and this, and then we reach a conclusion, and we either vanquish you know, the enemy or there's something. It, it, they don't just fall into neat stories like that. It just sort of – it really is almost like it's documenting the day-to-day -day life of these two characters and others. And, and, you know, real life doesn't go in story arcs. It's just sort of this kind of rolling narrative of, you know, you get up one day and you do this and that the next day you do that and you just keep going. And that's kind of how I think, you know, it flows in Love and Rockets. Which yeah. Which part, part of the appeal of it to me because, like I say, it's, just, it's not your, t you know, typical thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you nailed it there. It was, I was having trouble pinning down some things about what I thought about this. But like you said uh, you know, real life, a lot of times, by the time you get to the end of something, what you thought the, you know, quote, story was is changes by the end. So you start off and, you know, you're going about your life and you're focused on this thing, but then something happens in life and then the, the whole thing you've been focusing on doesn't matter anymore. It just doesn't matter at all. Like, I don't know. Uh, just a, a silly example, you were going to go to the, the comic shop and pick up your comics for the week, but on the way there you get in a car accident, um, so now going to pick up comics doesn't matter at all. Your day has changed, your story has changed, so you had the story going, but that story is just thrown out now. So now the story is you got in a car accident, you have to deal with that. That's kind of how these stories go. Um, you know, From the bigger story, the you know, like the mechanic story where they go and they go to get this ship up and running and you know a big part of the story is that she has this huge crush on rand race and is obviously hoping that that progresses somewhere but then throughout it they 
they realize that they're never going to get that ship working and that there's a lot of BS behind the scenes and that, you know, they're in this other country and the guy that's paying them to be there is in power and screwy stuff is happening and they're going to be lucky to get out alive. And throughout it also, she goes from just, you know, crushing on Rand to, like, getting worn out by that all and letting loose to just being like screw it to you know i mean just kind of all over the place with that so it's just always shifting around just like real life is so it's it's not a story with a beginning middle and end it's just it's always changing by the time you get to the end of the actually reading it you're not to the end of whatever story you started with it's just something different um right. that one in ways made me think of uh, like hunter s thompson's writing where it was very kind of meandering and and you know kind of stream of conscious with a little bit of direction to it. And obviously a lot of craziness to it. I think too many years since I read Thompson, but I think, <laughs> yeah, from what I remember, I think, yeah, that's a good analogy. It's, it's been quite a few years since I've read him, but I was a big fan for a while. Um, so I, I read, I read most of his work within a handful of years, probably. And then kind of got burnt out on it and, uh, slowed down and haven't read anything in a long time. Um, right. Another thing this makes me think of a little bit. Have you ever read Ulysses? James Joyce? Yeah. I started Ulysses four times, four different times. Never finished it until I finally realized that it was absolutely unreadable. <laughs> not even close to being finished. To be a finish is like, okay, this is, nah. Yeah, it's it's a strange book. I I think the only reason I finished it is I read it at a time when I was... If I started something, I was just hell bent on finishing it, and you know I was uh, yeah I had responsibilities in life, but I didn't have a kid yet and stuff like that. So it's you know before you have a kid, uh, you think you don't have enough free time, then you have a kid, and then you realize that you just don't have any free time anymore. You're you know, right. you're happy to have five minutes here or half an hour there, you know. Um, but. Uh, yeah, Ulysses. What the, the one thing that was interesting about it is, it was a big experiment on writing techniques and storytelling techniques. So throughout the book, he's constantly changing how he's writing. Um, I the, the only shift that I really remember very well in it, I couldn't even tell you what the damn story is now. Um, but he shifts into a, a stream of consciousness style for a period of it. And that felt really drastically different from everything else. But it's really interesting because there's always this shifting around with styles. And this is actually readable in like Ulysses. Uh, but it feels like that often. Like they're just kind of drifting in and out of different styles. Um, how old, uh, if I remember correctly, Jaime was like 24 when he started writing this? Uh, born in 59. So if this started in 81. So he's 22 when this started. Right. Um, Jaime's Jaime's the youngest of the three. I know Gilbert is older, and I think Mario. You don't hear much as oldest, so uh, mm -hmm. I know that, I know do know Jaime's the youngest of the of the brothers. Yeah, that, that's an age. Where, I mean, twenty two years old, and he, you know, starting to do this. Um, that's that's an age where you're really you know exploring and experimenting a lot of different stuff. So that you know, if yeah. if he's that age, he may, that he may be getting exposed to a ton of different stuff. And I think it, I think you kind of see that in, in the comics. Uh, I mean, this first volume, if, if 
you said the first 50 issues was over like 12 years. Is that right? It was 81 to 94, I believe. Okay, so that's thir- 13 years, five trades of his stuff. So if you just divide that up, that, that means this is like two to three years worth of stuff. Right. So, I mean, it, you know, 22 to 25 years old. You know, it, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, this is just definitely very interesting. I mean, this is why, it's like I said earlier, this is why I want to do this podcast is to explore stuff like this that, you know, he wanted, he and his brothers wanted to make comics and they just started making what they wanted to make. And you read this and this really feels like they made, you know, they wanted to make this. This is what they wanted to make. This is the product that they wanted. Not, they had this idea, but then it, you know, once it started getting success, then it got uh, altered and edited, and they had to answer to editorial and and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited to read more. Yeah, of, uh, yeah. They more. they all they grew up in a household that was their parents read comics, kept comics, so they like from very young age. And I know Jaime said that's all he ever wanted to do from as a child is is draw comics. So. His whole formative years was just preparing him for this. But it, yeah, it's it's amazing to think about, you know, 22 years old and he's writing Love and Rockets. And yeah, maybe at the beginning, the first few stories, he hadn't quite developed his craft, but it's still, <laughs> it's astounding. I, you know, like I could barely even speak when I was 22, much less, you know, write something of that kind of depth and, and Density. So. Yeah, I mean, at that age too, you know, we all think that we have very original thoughts at that age. But once you get enough past that age, you realize that uh, there are certain frames of mind that pretty much everybody goes through. So you can see those in other people around that age that you know they have these really strong opinions this way and that way. But they tend they like fell along the same lines of, of the, what you thought at that age, you know. So to see somebody, you know, it's rare that you get somebody that age that has a firm enough grasp on things and themselves that they aren't steeped in in the traditional kind of path of developing opinions at that time. They're able to like really jump out of that and then jump into different stuff like this. I was just flipping yeah. through back and forth again, and I stopped on the story where um, Maggie is talking about when she was a superhero. <laughs> I love that oh, story. This, right, this weird little story in the middle of everything, and it's very, very fast-paced and odd. And uh, this one panel, she's sitting there realizing that the hero she brought back is kind of a douche, and this dog is standing by a fire hydrant. And there's a, a thought bubble with the dog that's the uh, like the cap of the fire hydrant. It, it's just you know funny little images like that. These little details in there that add. Uh, you know, it adds to kind of the silliness of the story, but who would think of that? I mean, it, it has nothing to do with the story, but it's just in that panel. It makes you yeah. stop and take notice. Yeah, well, like I say, it, it, the, the writing is dense, the artwork is dense. Um, you know, some panels are you – know, I love the way, you know, some panels are very, you know, line-oriented. He's just drawing lines and lines, and then others, it's – the panel's almost entirely black. He just looks like he took a brush and inked most of the page, and the then you have highlights 
where you see the characters. So he, he varies his style quite a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm flipping through looking at the different panels like you're saying. This one where they're behind bars and uh, their silhouettes are in black, but the bars are in white. And there's so many cool things. Yeah, that's... I may just have to reread this volume again before I do another one anyways. There's just so much to this. You can reread them over and over. I don't think you ever get... Uh, I don't think you ever get uh, tired of it. And you can never fully grasp everything that's in there. It's just... It's too dense. Every time you, every time I read it, I get something else I hadn't seen before or get a new perspective. Yeah. I agree with you. I recently decided... Uh, I had seen... Um, Captain America Civil War. I was like, I want to reread Civil War because this movie was entertaining, but like now I want that Civil War story because I had read it years ago when I first really got into comics and uh, and had enjoyed it. So I started rereading Civil War, and by the second issue, I was like, I already know everything that's happening. Like I I don't really want to keep reading this, <laughs> so I just <laughs> ditched it. Uh, and you know, a lot of stuff is like I. You know, I tell you know a lot of people just always assume that I won't reread stuff because I rarely reread stuff unless it's been a long time, um, and even then, it's you know there's always so many new things to try. But there are some things like this that you know you read it once and you really you know no matter how quickly you absorb stuff, like you just you know that there's more to get there. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this this book is just chock full of that. I. We're definitely going to have to get back on uh, on another podcast about this. I'll read the next volume, and we'll arrange, and hopefully we'll get uh, Justin on also, um, and just kind of re-talk about Love and Rockets uh, as a whole. Um, that would be good, because I've had some good conversations with him just on Slack, you know, because I know he loves it quite a yeah. bit. And he's got a lot... Uh, I don't know what all he's collected, but I'm sure he's got that and original art and everything, <laughs> everything you can imagine. So. Is one of the Hernandez brothers in his basement, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's the one that uh, uh, he's the one that got for me last year. I think I sent a picture of it to you. The uh, Gilbert did a variant cover for Harbinger 25. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he got a signed copy for me, signed by Gilbert and can't remember else who signed that. My mind's blank. I got four. He sent that to me last year. So yeah, that's Justin, that's the cool Justin one. has connections. Yeah, he has crazy connections. I mean, he's so connected that he told me that he has an extra one still. If I wanted a copy of it. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, it's nice to know a guy who I owns. I don't know what I've got. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've got a man crush on Justin. I just <laughs> I don't make any bones about that. Yeah. Yeah, Justin's a great guy. Um, I always have a, a lot of fun when I, I get into a conversation with him. You know, he stays pretty busy, so it's kind of random, but something will pop up, and it easily will be a half-hour conversation that came out of nowhere. He's just one of those guys you could do that with. Which yeah. will, uh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so um, we'll wrap this episode up. I think this is definitely something that we're going to have to explore further, though. Um, do you have any final thoughts you want to throw out there before we wrap it? No, not really. I'll just say I'm... Like I said, I went into this, you know, giving this to you, not knowing what to expect. Because I like, I thought there was at least a 50-50 chance he's either going to really like this or he's going to curse me out. You know, why did you waste my time <laughs> giving me this? 
so it's you know I'm I'm pleased that you enjoyed it and hopefully maybe others I know I think Martin has read some of Eleven Rockets I know he's talked about it and I've introduced it a little bit to uh, uh, Garrett on the Slack channel he's read a little bit of it, so as you say I'm an, I'm an apologist whatever I can do to try to spread the news about Eleven Rockets because it's it's I think one of one of the great watershed books of all time. I mean, it really it kind of brought alternative comics kind of out of the shadows and into more mainstream, where a lot of people were seeing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you think about, I mean, just the comics that we've talked about uh, on this podcast so far. Uh, Martin and I talked about um, Bone. We talked about what. Well, Bone probably came a little bit later, but talking about Cerebus and talking about Usagi, we haven't even gotten an Ninja Turtles yet. We were saving that one until we kind of got some of the things that, you know, we didn't already kind of talk about a bit. Um, so many of those early comics like that, uh, the early black and white comics in this time were anthropomorphic animals. So yeah. this is one that, I mean, there's nothing about anthropomorphic animals in here. Uh, so this is definitely a much more realistic, real-life route of getting into stuff. Um, just yeah, an occasional guy with horns. Yeah, you know. <laughs> just a freaky human. Um, yeah, when so when I got this in the mail from you, I opened it up, and I just kind of flipped through it right away. And just flipping through it, I knew it was going to be something I liked just because the quirkiness drips off it immediately, but there's so much more depth to it. Um, reading it, I think, you know, it took me a little bit to kind of get going at first, but I started picking up pace. But that, uh, the, the one story that was written in like the letter format, which I, I keep on flipping through trying to figure out exactly how many pages it is. Cause it's not really that long. It is. It's not, but it's a lot of, it's, Dense because uh, as it's in a letter format, you're reading a lot of words in, in each page. So yeah, super dense. It, it, it takes you a while to get to move through the story. So. Yeah, so it looks like it's. I mean, it's about thirty-ish pages, thirty, thirty-five, maybe you know, closer to forty. It took me as long to read that as the whole rest of the book. <laughs> yeah, that's doesn't surprise me. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our uh, our first talk on Love and Rockets, a book that I think that we'll be talking about some more. Uh, so I am on Twitter at Who's Paul J. What is your Twitter handle? It's at Comics Twit. Yeah, I, I think I tweeted you for the first time recently, like just in a tweet where I wasn't like responding or something, and I right. <laughs> had to try to figure out what the hell to tweet. Um, yeah, so Jay's on, on Twitter at Comics Twit. Uh, the show is on Twitter at CBW Podcast. You can email us at CBWPodcast at Outlook.com. I made an email address, so if anybody has questions or ideas or you know wants us to do anything, uh, if you email there, I'll actually get it. If you email hello at NerdyLegion.com, Martin will never forward it to me because that's how that goes. Uh, I don't know for sure what we'll be doing next time since we've kind of shifted and – uh, this is now me finding a guest co-host each week. Uh, I have to find who I can set up with to do for next time. Uh, but if you want to read ahead, I'm guessing I'm probably going to set up uh, doing the first IDW hardcover of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 
Uh, I don't know exactly what issues offhand it collects, but it's the beginning of the run of the original Ninja Turtles. Uh, so check that out if you want to know what we're talking about before we talk about it. I'm actually going to record that podcast once I get it set up with my comic shop owner, who is the biggest Ninja Turtle fan that I know in person. So uh, that should be fun. Uh, thank you again for joining me, Jay. You did this uh, on the spur of the moment, so I wouldn't have to sit in the cold any longer hoping to get this podcast done. So we get an episode out this week. And, I'm very uh, pleased to do so. I'm glad you yeah, I'm just help. sad that I didn't get to make one for you to listen to. You know, you were... I was so excited to give you something to listen to as a present for giving me this book, and instead I made you work for it. Well, I'll listen to this because my short-term memory is, you know, not much. So I'll, I'll have to listen to it again to remember what I said. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, have a good night, Jay. Thank you again. Uh, and until next time, uh, go read some Ninja Turtles. That was pathetic. Ooh. <laughs>
because I sure as hell ain't going to Texas.